and, and I always like to say, too, when we, when we, this is your home church, there's, there's online ways to do that. And then uh, next week is kind of a special week. And so if you've been around. Uh, and Vicki decided that they were going to move to Thunder Bay. Cal and I decided that we were going to travel with them and camp along the way. So each night we had a campground and, you know, we just, we just had so much fun. And if anybody knows Nathan, he is really loud. Like this morning I was at, in, a, in a prayer meeting just for like five minutes and I could hear him singing. And I'm like, where is he? And nobody knew where he was. I ran to the kitchen and he wasn't there. So he, as much as he was singing, he took off again. Um, but there was this one morning uh, we were all getting ready to, to go on our trip. I think it was where we were about halfway. And like I said, if you know Nathan, he's like, he gets bursts of Malachi, like, and he's really, really loud. And this was like 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. So picture all these tents, okay? There was Cal and I, and there was Nathan and Vicky and the kids, and then there, was, there were other people sound asleep. And Nathan is like bursting and singing and, I mean, he was loud. And there was one point I said, Nathan. And he was just, he just did it anyway. And every time there's devotions that I read, I do, like, the old, the new, uh, and the Psalms and the Proverbs. And every time I get to Proverbs twenty-seven fourteen, if anyone loudly blesses their neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. <laughs> So every time I do my old, my new, my psalm and problems, every time I get to the, the Proverbs 27, 14, that's the verse that I always send to Nathan. Nathan, do you remember this? Oh, I got the kids laughing. So I grew up in a, sorry, a religious home. We went to church, but... Um, it was just it was just church. It was just a, a religious atmosphere. Um, but I could tell through the readings when the priest would um, you know read read the mass. I knew that there was a God, but I felt that He was out there and not here. And I just felt how could I get the God that He's talking about up here to come in here. And I never had that teaching at home. So it was very difficult. But that was one of the first time every Sunday I just felt there's got to be a way that I could do this. And I knew, I was, I was laying on my bed, and I know it sounds kind of funny, but I was having a piece of toast, and I said, hey, God, do you want a bite? So I knew there was a God, but I knew that he was still out there. And there was one time where I was at a... Uh, a sports thing, and I think it was basketball. We're coming home, and uh, I was not, I was like a, a circle trying to fit into a square. I, I just didn't fit in with anybody. So I just sat by the window and I was looking outside. And I remember saying, um, God, if you're there, just, just, I just want to see. I just want to see something. And it was about a half hour trip back home and it the most amazing thing is I saw this bright light it would go up and then it would go down for all for for a half hour and then all of a sudden I'd be like oh, where is it 
And then all of a sudden it would go up and then it would go down. And I didn't know what that was then, but when I became a believer, I believed that it was the Spirit of the Lord tugging at my heart. And that was one of the first times that the Lord was saying, Rose, here I am. As that scripture, if you could put that scripture up. Um, but I believe, I believe that when Nathan was saying about Mary, you know, at first she didn't know it was Jesus. But as soon as Jesus said her name, she knew it was the Lord. And then um, throughout my life, there was, there was a lot of physical, there was physical abuse, there was emotional abuse in my home. And so I didn't grow up uh, a very confident young lady. It was, it was very dif- difficult. I didn't feel that I was worthy. My mom used to call me names that I wouldn't even want to mention today. Um, but it left me scarred emotionally. And there were times where I actually tried to get close to my father, and every time I did, I felt that my mom just kind of pushed me away. So I didn't have the father's love. I didn't have a mother's love. So I just kind of grew up just knowing that there was something out there that I felt somehow I need to get that in here. There are many memories that I blocked out growing up. And uh, there's a scripture verse in the Bible where it says, God will not give you what you can't handle. I knew somehow I was sexually abused, but that memory is blocked. My actions could tell that there was, there was something there. Um, but I, could, I, just, I couldn't get through that, that block. Um, there was one time, it was, it was uh, in a basement, it was kind of dingy, and I could see my uncle, and he, there was this table here, and he could levitate things off the table. And I was sitting in the corner, like, just petrified. That's all I remember. After that, he came towards me, and that's all I know. I just know that something happened physically to me that I blocked out. And for years, I felt I needed to get a new lifestyle. Um, but that memory that, that I didn't remember, when I became a Christian, I just want you to remember this part, is I had somebody that prayed over me uh, for healing. And there was a lot of healing that took place. I felt at that time there was more that I needed in my life. And I knew that just going to school, coming home, watching my parents watch the soap operas, like the edge of night going off into another world, (laughs) Um, it wasn't for me. And I knew, and the funny thing is I had such a fear of, of men but I couldn't figure out why that fear was there. 
And one of the schools that I've applied for was a convent. So I wanted to run away and be a nun. Lo and behold, that didn't work out. Um, but I decided to go to a place called Atlantic Baptist College, which is now called Crandall. Um, and during that experience, there was a, a guy called Leighton Ford Crusade, which was related to Billy Graham. And I went to it. And it was really like the terminology that I would hear was just like, it, it just it just didn't uh, fit my mind because I just didn't understand it at all. But I did accept Christ as my personal Savior. And that was one of the second times that I heard the Lord say, Rose, I am calling you. And that was very special to me. I felt that when I accepted Christ as my Savior, the God that was up here was all of a sudden in here. And I was alive for the first time, really alive. But I, wanna, I want you guys to keep in mind, uh, growing up in not a religious home, some of the terminology that I heard in the college was like, bought with his blood. What do you mean, bought with his blood? Like, didn't make any sense to me at all. Like, how could you be bought with his blood? Like, and I, I was just, it just didn't make sense. Or saved by the blood of the lamb. Who's going to be saved by the blood of the lamb? Again, these terminologies just didn't make sense to me at all. Born again. Like, how can you be born again? I'm already born again. But once I started reading the scriptures, I realized that that was something that God was doing, and it was something beautiful. One night, I got on my knees in the school, and I had the most beautiful experience with the Lord. I don't know if it was an actual picture or a vision, or he took me somewhere, but it was, it was so real. Do you ever see an old house, and you, you, just, you can open it up, and then you get down into an attic? You know those old, like a, a cellar, did you say? Yeah, a cellar. Well, I pictured myself in a corner. And there was cobwebs everywhere. And every now and then, somebody would open up the door and say, do you need help? And I would holler from the corner and say, no, I'm fine. And that happened two or three times. One time, that cellar door opened and the light was different. It was brighter than I've ever, ever seen it while I was in that attic in the cellar. So I went over, and I looked up, and Jesus was standing at the top with his arms open, and he said, come, will you trust me? And I looked at myself, and, you know, I was full of cobwebs, and I didn't feel special. I certainly didn't feel special by the way I was treated by my mom. I stood there for a few seconds, and I finally got the courage to go up. And when I did, he took my hand. And then all of a sudden, the scenery changed, and there was a field of just flowers. It was absolutely beautiful. And he put his arms around my waist. 
And he said, I want you to trust me. I will bring gentlemen in your life. And he did that. There was many gentlemen that pursued me for a relationship. And each time I said no, the Lord said it's okay. And that was his way of healing me each time. So while I was at the school, I knew that I could trust him in this area. He was my counselor, which is really cool. Um, but at the school, they wanted us to volunteer somewhere, so I decided to go into the prison ministry. I felt it would be safe. Um, they couldn't follow me home. <laughs> so much later. Um, I don't know if anybody had a picture in their mind, but I actually thought that they had uh, stripped black and white onesies. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, when I went in, I realized that that was not true. <laughs> um, but I was there for over a year, and then there was a... Um, looking through my notes, I'm sorry. There was just like a little uh, mini thing that was going on during the weekend, and... Uh, Cal just so happened to be in my group, and that's where we, we first met, and we started talking. And I think it was like a few months after. I may not get it as perfect as he would say it, but um, we, we finally met, and he decided that he wanted to ask me out for a date. So he writes this letter, and he drops it in the mailbox, knowing that there was a possibility that I was seeing somebody, but he decided that he was going to drop that letter in the mailbox anyway. When I got it, I mean, I totally freaked out. I'm thinking, is this, is this the right one? Is this the guy? And so my faith was very simple. And I read, you know, the, the story of Gideon. I'm thinking, that's easy. I could just fast and pray, and God will give me an answer 12 o'clock tonight. So that's what I did. I fasted and I prayed for one full day. And I said, by 12 midnight, I need an answer. Because I was not going to be pussyfooting around. I didn't want to be just in the dating game and, you know, not doing it. And so 12 o'clock midnight, um, the Lord said, I want you to wait for him. You are to marry him. You're going to have children, but they will not be yours which meant that they will be serving the Lord. Your ministries will complement each other. And so, again, I heard the voice of the Lord. Rose, this is your life. So, I just really believe that, I didn't believe that I had a testimony. God was very patient with me. When I, it's funny because when Nathan says, and, and the way he answers the phone, Mom, like really loud. So he asked me first before he mentioned it to Cal that he wanted me to give my testimony, and I said, okay. So I didn't say, say anything to Cal because I'm thinking if I back out, I'm just going to tell Nathan. So two or three days after, uh, Nathan was on, uh, we were FaceTiming, the three of us, and Nathan says, so, Mom, you're going to be sharing your testimony in front of Cal. So I was like, oh, 
So I can't back up now. I, can't, I just can't say no. <laughs> the song that I'm going to do as I close, all through my testimony, I shared the, the, the major fear that I had of men. And I believe that if I was not a believer, I would have been crippled probably for life if I didn't get help. I believe that God was calling my name throughout my life. And he was saying, this is a part of your life that I'm going to bring healing and wholeness so that you can be the woman of God that I have called you to be. And I'm very thankful for that. The song that I'm going to do is called Paint Me a Picture by Joyce Myers. And it's a, a theme song for me because it's like you picture yourself as the paintbrush and God takes the paintbrush and he colors the canvas or a mold of clay. You, when you think of a mold of clay, you know, it's got to be molded and he pours water on that and he just molds it and he makes it into what he wants it to be. That was my life. What is that for you? Are you that clay? And, and how, how does God want to stretch you in your life? Or you may be that paintbrush, and God wants to take that paintbrush, and he wants to paint it on a canvas. If that's you today, really take that into your heart, because that's what he's done for me. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I still have a long ways to go until I meet my Jesus. So I hope this song blesses you. Just give me a minute, okay? Pick me up like a paintbrush God, dip it in the colors of my life And paint your picture Father, fashion a heart that is holy yours And take your fingers Master Potter, come mold the clay. Tell your story as you mold me. Fashion a heart that is yours. And write your name, write your name. Sign your name on the picture. 
Pick me up like a pain going to read uh, John chapter 20, just as we close what uh, my mom shared with us this morning. When I asked her uh, to share, I didn't, I wasn't aware of where we would be in the story. Uh, we started, by the way, working through the gospel of John in January. So we started in, in, on, uh, in John chapter 13, and we called it Deep Talks with Jesus. And so today... The scripture, uh, if my parents hadn't have been here, this is exactly where we'd be. And I asked my mom to share her story, and I didn't know what part of her story she would emphasize, uh, but it goes along with Mary Magdalene, like, perfectly. Uh, and so I'm just going to read this and, and just share a few things. But one of the things that I love, and, and I emphasize this a lot when I preach, is that we, we follow the scriptures, Jesus has revealed himself to us in the scripture. But I, one of the things that I, I like pointing people's attention to is that this is not just some history lesson of something that someone did a couple thousand years ago. We serve the resurrected son of God. And, and the promise that Jesus gave was that he said, I will be with you. So he said to his followers, he says, I'm going to go to be with the father, but it's actually better because when I go, I will send you the comforter, the helper, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you. And the Holy Spirit is God in us. And so if that's true, then when we read the scriptures, we learn about what God is like, but we should be seeing him do some of those very same things today and now. Okay? So if you're one of those people that's kind of on the fence with your, your faith, like one of the reasons that Christians follow Jesus so wholeheartedly is because for we've come to this realization, like he's this risen savior. It's not somebody who just gave us a bunch of teachings and said, oh, good luck. Here's how to live. Jesus said, I'm actually going to be with you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And the same things that we read God doing in the scriptures, he does today, now. Okay. And so, uh, so I say all that to say, but my mom sharing her story the way she did, it so perfectly fits with Mary Magdalene and her experience with the risen Savior, Jesus. Okay, so I'm going to read, and I think this will be on the screen if I put it in there uh, properly. So I'm going to read uh, John chapter 20, uh, verse 11 to 18. And this is the story of Mary Magdalene. So Mary was standing outside, and this is, by the way, after Jesus was crucified. Um, we talked about that last week, and he was put, taken down from the cross, put in a tomb, and his disciples, his followers were just dejected. They were depressed. They were overwhelmed. Um, and so this is right, right before we encounter the, the resurrection. So Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord. She replied, and I don't know where they have put him. Do you know that Mary Magdalene is one of the few people in scriptures 
that, that encounters an angel and is not just filled with terror. Like every, almost every other time somebody in the Bible encounters an angel, they're just overwhelmed with terror. They're paralyzed. And the angels always, over and over, they have to say, don't, don't be afraid. Have no fear. But Mary, she is so in love with Jesus. She has had such an encounter with Christ. And she's so, like, distracted with her, with her. She's looking for him, and she can't figure out what's happening. These angels show up, and they talk to her. And to her, it's just like another day. It's just kind of normal. Like, she's not filled with terror because her focus is so on Jesus. It's, it's incredible. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they put him. She turned to leave, and she saw someone standing there. It was Jesus. But she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go and get him. You know, like there's people are back and forth as to why they think Mary didn't recognize Jesus. It's probably because her eyes were so filled with tears that she just didn't recognize anybody around her. And she's just looking for Jesus because Mary, if, you've, if you're familiar with it all with the story, she shows up in all four Gospels. And if you're confused about the name, uh, there's three Marys that show up at the cross, okay? There's three of them. There's Jesus' mother, and there was Mary of Siloam, and then there was Mary Magdalene. Okay, there's, there's three Marys. This is Mary Magdalene, and we learn from the Gospel of Luke that this Mary in particular was somebody that had, like, unclean spirits, and Jesus cast them out of her. It sounded like she had a past similar to what my mom shared. Like, there was probably some kind of, like, sexual abuse in her past. Like, there was something. When she encountered Jesus, she was just filled with this, just, like, self-hatred, and she lacked confidence, and she was overwhelmed, and she just didn't think that she could get through life. Jesus sets her free. So when you, when you learn about this Mary in particular and the rest of the, the scriptures, like she's this person who's been just totally set free by Jesus. Something had changed. She encountered Jesus as somebody who, who hated herself, somebody who had been abused, somebody who didn't trust men or whatever it was. She encounters Jesus, and he sets her free. And then you, like Jesus is, she, so, so she's at the tomb. And by the way, the other two guys, so in John's gospel, you've got Peter and John, and they race to the tomb, okay? So there's this kind of funny scene in, in, in the Gospel of John. Most people think John wrote it. And, uh, and, and in John, it says that John beat Peter to the tomb. So it's this funny thing where you're like, John, did you put that in there just to show us all that you're faster than, than Peter, right? And so sometimes I wonder, like, maybe, maybe, you know, Peter gets to heaven and he sees John. He's like, bro, really? Like, you've got to tell the whole world that... You're faster than me. So John and Peter, they have this foot race. They get to the tomb, okay? They look in. They, they talk to the angels. They leave. They don't encounter Jesus. Mary gets there because they probably outran her. So she gets there, and they're just leaving. And she just decides to stay and linger because she's been, she's been touched by Jesus. And so she's just filled with this, like, this deep appreciation for, for her Lord. And it's probably, Jesus is probably the first male figure in her life that she encountered that was pure, that didn't love her because he was trying to get something out of her. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't trying to convince her to do something against her will. He wasn't trying to use her. He wasn't trying to abuse her. It's the first person that she's ever encountered that has this pure love. And she's at the tomb, and, she's, and his body's gone. And, and nobody, by the way, 
you know, people today, we look back and we're like, you know, Jesus told them he was going to rise. Well, I think it just went over everybody's heads. Nobody rises from the dead. It doesn't happen. So she's just going and she wants to prepare his body and she wants to, you know, take care of this, this man that had set her free. But she's probably wondering, like, maybe she's remembering some of the things that he said about rising from the dead. Right? And so she sees this person. She thinks he's the gardener, which I think is another irony in the book of John. Because in, in John's gospel, John is always pointing us back to something that happened a long time ago. And if you remember in the story, when God created the world, it was in a garden. And everything went wrong, right? And when Adam and Eve sinned, they were filled with shame. And, and then it talks about God. He's walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve are just running away, and they're filled with shame. And they get, they get cast out of the garden because of their rebellion, because of their sin. And John's gospel is pointing us back. He, Mary looks up. She thinks he's the gardener. Well, in some senses, he is. He's restoring Eden. He's restoring what's been broken. Jesus is the one that comes to, to undo every wrong that humanity has done on our behalf. So she mistakes him for the gardener. And I think in some senses that's John saying, he is the gardener. He's restoring Eden. He's come to fix everything that's broken. Right? But then she's like filled with her, she's grieving. So whether she doesn't recognize him because it's a resurrected body that's possible, you don't, you don't typically see people that have been dead for three days walking around. Um, and, and his resurrected body, in, in, in the rest of the, uh, the story after the resurrection, Jesus goes walking into beyond like locked doors. He just shows up. He appears. So somehow in his resurrected body, there was something different. So whether she didn't recognize him because of that or whether it was just her tears, she just had like, you ever had your eyes so filled with tears you couldn't even see what was in front of you? You know, if your eyes are so filled with tears, you could have the person who's closest to you walk in and you might not recognize them because your eyes are just so blurry and filled with tears and you can't see straight, right? But then what, like, what happens? He says, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him, and she cried out, Rabboni, which, in he, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. It's really significant that Mary recognizes Jesus when he says her name. You ever have someone in your life that when they say your name, you know it's them? Like there's a certain tone to the way that your name is said on that person's lips and you recognize immediately. Maybe you ha even if you hadn't seen that person for 10 or 15 years, the way that your name is said, you go, oh, that's so-and-so, right? So, so Mary, this is incredible. She's had this encounter with Jesus, where he set her free from whatever it was that was, was like just deeply, had deeply wounded her from her past trauma, from sexual abuse, from whatever it was. He gave her an identity. He gave her a purpose. And, and he had this way of saying her name that she recognized. So even though she couldn't recognize Jesus and she's just filled with grief and all this emotion, eyes are filled with tears, and Jesus says, Mary. And then she looks up. And she says, Rabboni, which just means teacher. He, had, he was her Lord. He was her master. He was her teacher. He was the only one that loved her 
with the pure, like the pure love that didn't expect anything impure in return. It was this pure love because he loved her for who she was, because he's her creator. But she recognized his voice. And, and what I want to emphasize as we bring this to a close today, John is also saying something really profound here. Jesus says, if you go back a few chapters in John, Jesus says this really profound thing. He says, my followers, they're going to recognize my, my sheep know my voice. So in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus compares himself to a shepherd. And, and he says, you know, with shepherds, when they call their sheep, their sheep come to them because the sheep recognize the voice of their shepherd. He said, if somebody else comes and tries to call them, they won't go because they recognize that is not the voice of their shepherd. And Jesus said, it's the same thing. If you're, if you're my sheep, you're going to know my voice. So Mary recognized Jesus' voice. And then he says this really weird thing to her because she, she sees him and she's just overjoyed. And she probably starts to remember the prophecies. Like, he said he'd rise from the dead. I can't believe this has actually happened. And she runs over like anybody would. And she just wraps her arms around him and she clings to him. And Jesus is hugging her. But I can just, he's almost like, he's like peeling her arms off of, you ever do that? Like, you bring your kid to school for the first day and you're like, no, you gotta go or whatever it is. You're like, you ever peel someone's arms off of you? And you're like, or that like awkward hug that you just want it to end? And, you, you know, and eventually you're like, just, just like, <laughs> take that off, right? And so, like, Jesus is, like, peeling, and he says, don't cling to me, right? Because he said to her, I'm going to be with the Father. But here's the beauty thing is, is he was giving her this gift. He was saying, you recognize my voice now. So you don't have to have me here in physical form. He said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be with the Father, but my voice will be with you always, right? And so... When my mom was sharing her story, there was a couple times throughout that she emphasized when she had heard and recognized the Lord's voice. That's a gift. And I I would just encourage every one of you to ask the Lord, like, Lord, am I hearing your voice? Like, if if there's something going on in your life that you know maybe, maybe it's a hindrance to hearing the Lord's voice. Maybe it's a something going on. Like, bring that to him. Turn from whatever that is embrace Jesus because the gift that Jesus gives is he says my followers will hear my voice last irony okay and then I'll bring this to a close in the book of John that John is so filled with irony you've got and we talked about this a couple weeks ago you've got the religious leaders that are so focused on keeping themselves religiously pure they didn't want to defile themselves because they wanted to celebrate the Passover and then they bring Jesus to uh, his crucifixion so you've got these religious leaders that they've studied. My mom talked about early in her story. She grew up in a very religious setting. They, they had studied all of the texts. They had, they had studied all of the Old Testament prophecies. And Jesus was in their midst and they didn't see him. Okay? You've got Peter and John. They're like the leaders of the pack and the disciples. Okay? You've got these two guys that are like top uh, disciples of Jesus' followers. They come and for some reason Jesus doesn't reveal himself to them. He reveals himself to, to Mary. Somebody that Nobody else in that day would have paid any attention to. Did you catch the last part of the verse? She goes back to the disciples. She says, I've seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. Like this was at a time when, when women weren't even seen as, as having enough respect or credibility to, to translate a message and for that message to be even like carried out in court or anything. And who does Jesus decide to give the most important message in the entire world to? Mary Magdalene, this woman that had been totally radically set free from Jesus. 
This woman that everybody would have looked at and thought, oh, like she's just nothing and she's worthless. But he had set her free. He had transformed her. He had changed her. And she recognized his voice. And then he says, go bring this message to the rest of the followers. And so they're all waiting in a room. And I just imagine Mary comes barging in and she's like, I saw him. I saw Jesus. He's risen. And I don't know what the disciples would have felt in that moment. Like if they were like, sure. Like maybe it took some convincing, right? Maybe Peter and John were still arguing about who won the race to to the tomb, right? Like they're going on, whatever, right? But Mary's like, no, guys, you don't understand. I saw him and he gave me this message. He wants me to tell you. And so my my encouragement as a follower of Jesus, and I can just speak for myself on this, like there is no greater desire in my life than just to hear Jesus' voice. Because I don't know about you, but I hear all kinds of other voices, and there's all kinds of other voices in, like, in culture, and people tell you all kinds of things. People have agendas and things they want you to do, things they think you should do to change or whatever. Like, what Jesus gives the, his followers here in this gospel is the greatest gift ever. He says, you will recognize my voice. And so if you haven't surrendered your heart to Jesus, if you haven't invited him in, if you haven't turned away from, from the things in your life that would be a hindrance, I would encourage you to do so to invite Jesus in and to listen for what he says. And now that he's, he's risen, he speaks to us through other people, through the scriptures, through a gathering like this, through all kinds of, through dreams. And I just want to encourage you to, to be a person who sets your heart on hearing the voice of Jesus above all else. That's what transformed Mary. And that's what characterizes a follower of Jesus in 21st century Thunder Bay, Canada. A follower of Jesus is someone who just hears his voice. And maybe not every day. You might go long seasons where you have it, but, but if you listen, if you've surrendered your heart to Christ, you'll hear his voice. I'm going to invite the team to come up. We're going to close with a couple songs. And just uh, as we close with these, these couple songs, um, I just, let's just stand if, if you're able to. Uh, we'll, we'll stand and we'll sing together. And if, if the Lord has brought something up in your, your heart today as, we're, as my mom was sharing her story or as we're talking about this scripture uh, and you feel like you, there's something you want to confess or make right with the Lord, I just encourage you to do that uh, while, we're, while we're singing these last couple songs. Um, the altar's open too, by the way. If, if, someone, if you feel to come up and pray at the front, uh, if you come up and pray, probably somebody, one of our team members will come and pray with you. You can pray from your seat as well. Um, but if you want prayer this morning, I invite you to, to come on up and pray. Um, but if, if you just sense the Lord doing something in your heart, just during these last couple songs, I just want to encourage you to take, take a minute and, and talk to him. And if, you, if you're desiring to hear his voice, tell him that and invite him to speak and set your heart to listen to what it is that he's, he's saying.